Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Provider Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we'll discuss two topics, your sales pipeline and the retail IT channel timeline with someone who's uniquely qualified to weigh in on both subjects. Joe Finizio has had sales and marketing leadership roles in the retail IT channel for over 40 years. You'll likely recognize some of these company names he's worked for. Data Terminal Systems, also known as DTS, Micros, Sharp, POS.com, Toast, and Linga, which is an ISV he retired from earlier this year. Joe also spent nearly a decade leading two retail associations, Popeye, the Point of Purchase Association International, and he was president and CEO of the RSPA from 2006 to 2014. Joe Finizio, it is a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jim. I do have my RSPA hat on. Uh, this goes back to 2008, uh, and I also have my Discover hat. It's a little beat up from yard work, uh, <laughs> but uh, I have that. Uh, we got this at Inspire. Uh, Discover was our very first uh, uh, payments payment processor or ca- uh, card uh, brand uh, member and uh, and sponsor back in 2008. And the reason I wore these is that that period in time, 2007-2008, was when the whole business model in our industry was shifting. And it plays right into what we're going to be talking about with sales pipeline management and, of course, you know, uh, the 75th anniversary of RSPA and how that association, how our association has endured. So get the hat. Just, just awesome. for you, Jim. Just for you. I, just for you I appreciate it. I, I know I have one of those somewhere uh, in my closet. It's actually a very comfortable hat uh, yeah. as well from the, uh, the scholarship. My Red Sox hat, by the way. Just well, well, and talk about that. So you live in the Carolinas now, be originally from Massachusetts. I'm curious, did I pronounce sharp correctly or is there no, a better way to pronounce it? Shop. Sharp. Shop. Shop. And uh, yeah, now you've got it. Definitely. I, and they, I also in Carolinas they you're down here now so they do not say car they say vehicle so, yeah. <laughs> so and you've lived in the Carolinas for how many years now Joe uh, almost 17 all right and walking... I go ahead Jim I can just say I haven't noticed you don't say y'all it seems like everybody around here says y'all except for maybe you and me <laughs> I think uh you know uh, myself and my family have been very lucky uh you know, working for Micros, we live down in Maryland, a uh, wonderful place to live, great place for uh, children's education. Uh, and uh, we absolutely love uh, North Carolina and the Carolinas. Uh, the people are just spectacular. Uh, it's just a, a hidden gem uh, uh, of the uh, slice of the world. And uh, we're just lucky to be here. We're lucky to be you know, I was personally lucky to be in the industry for as long as I have been and to work with uh, some of the, you know, some of the great people in the industry, you know, Bob Collings and Murray Rubin, who started Data Terminal Systems, you know, all the way up to, you know, the folks at Toast, you know, uh, that started that. And then also along the way, work with, you know, a lot of great members uh, at RSPA, you know, to know to Clarence Wiggins of the world, uh, you know, of course, BJ and Ann, Maynard, the Maynards, and, yep. and on and on, you know, Lisa Falzone and Chris from Rebel to, you know, to, you know, have, you know, be able to work with those folks, 
you know, Steve Kutz, uh, Mike Bow, we'll talk about a little later. And uh, just, uh, it's uh, almost like a Forrest Gump type of life. <laughs> and I've uh, been lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, through that, if you're, if you get your eyes open, as uh, Yogi Berra once said, you can observe an awful lot just by watching uh, and, uh, and just keep your eyes open and learn and observe uh, you know, what's working, what's not working, uh, uh, and you know, never stop learning. Uh, you know, you can you can help uh, help uh, business business owners for the independence of resellers, and also do your job uh, for the companies that you work for. Great. No, thanks for that. And again, you've seen it from, I'm glad you gave that additional background because you've seen this channel from a lot of different angles. And let's talk about, you know, sales pipelines and the lead validation process. Because you, again, you've seen that from a vendor, the VAR, the ISV, the distributor from a neutral standpoint. Can you explain how sales pipelines and lead validation process and everything we're going to talk about under that, how that's so important about it's more managing your sales versus just how to sell and sales techniques? Yeah. And I was just saying, you know, I've worked the reseller uh, channel partners or dealers or bars, you know, they've been called many things over the, over the years, uh, the majority of my career. Uh, but as the business model changed, you know, wearing hats, you know, back in 2007, you know, when Jared, uh, when it was United Bank Card, you announced uh, that they were going to give away Casio ECRs uh, and that the, the business model began to change. Uh, and, you know, and, and it does, it evolves. And uh, a, a quick story, uh, I was standing, when I worked at Micros, uh, uh, Kay Branson uh, and uh, Digital Dining, they, they were the, uh, sorry, yeah, Digital Dining, mm -hmm. the, uh, they were one of our competitors. And, uh, uh, and when I went to work at RSPA, I had a chance to, you know, meet Kay and talk to her as a, as a, a member. And uh, Kay had a great perspective of the marketplace. We were sitting in the back one time of one of the uh, general sessions, and one of the speakers, uh, in, I think it was in 2010, had big word up. Remember, Jim, you've got to remember this. Back, big words up on the screen, change, change is coming, change is, you know, that was the big uh, catchphrase back then. And Kate turned to me, she goes, well, they are, they're wrong. In our business, if you think about our business, change has been a constant. And it's always changing and it's always evolving. And how do you keep up with it? How do you work with it? Uh, and that's a constant learning uh, you know, uh, point that I brought up a, a minute ago in that. So as the industry was evolving and the business model was evolving, uh, you know, lead generation and lead nurturing became very important. It became very expensive to get the business and to close the business. You know, from that lead generation and nurturing to free hardware. If you think about it today, to close a deal, sometimes you have to give away free free hardware, free software, free installation, free support. Uh, if you get the merchant ID, so how do you how do you work in this environment? Uh, so uh, one of one of the items that I've seen missing is how do you manage your pipeline? There's a gazillion books out on how do you sell. You know, you know, although it goes way back, you know, to the, you know, to the Xerox method, to all the way up to the challenge of sale and, and on from there uh, and that. But this is not what pipeline management is. Uh, it's how do you 
how do you maximize your lead? Uh, and sales pipeline management really provides the data, the visibility, and the methodology to maximize that lead conversion because it costs so much to get that lead today and to nurture that lead, how do you get the most out of it? How do you squeeze the juice out of that? So uh, I don't wanna be that guy that, that preaches about, I got a great idea. This is how you should sell, this is how you should run your business. I don't wanna preach about it, it works. Uh, I've seen it worked uh, uh, at POS.com, we were in lead generation, lead nurturing business. And, and we had companies like uh, Touch Bistro, like Pacera, uh, uh, et cetera, and others that were that were buying leads from us, and we were watching how they were nurturing them, and and they were data driven. Toast, when I was when I had my time there, uh, very data driven. It works. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, and at a very high level, because there's a there's a lot to it, but it's not complex if that makes sense yes yeah do it. And, and because the crm systems out there you know at, use free hubspot uh you know to zoho to salesforce etc out there that can do all this and you know, provide you with the reports and the information it makes it easy you just got to do it Yes. Yeah. And you talked about leads and right. Everybody, you know, you asked, do you want more leads? And whether they're a VAR, an ISV event, or they're like, of course, more leads, more leads. And so I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the mechanics of, of handling and managing those leads. Can you talk about the importance of making the most of what you have versus just being in that constant, you know, lead mining um you know, mode, do you think it's more important to have, I'll just use round numbers here, round, is it more important to really nurture well 25 leads as opposed to just go out and get 200 and throw a bunch of stuff at them and, and see what works? Is, is is the quality more important than the volume? No, it doesn't really matter. It, it, it matters. Is the lead working or not for you? Uh, if you, you could have a really high quality lead, quote unquote, could, uh, but if it's not working, uh, if you can't get to the right people, uh, if if the salesperson isn't even calling them, it's not, you know, so you, you have to manage that lead, whether it's a good lead or a bad lead. If it's a bad lead, you're going to figure it out real quick. If it's a good lead, if you're managing it right, if you're managing your pipeline, you'll know that you're not talking to the right person. Uh, and that, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, the, the points to remember is that, you know, for data-driven sales management, you know, managing a pipeline, uh, it will maximize your lead conversion, just what you were talking about, thus your return on investment. It's going to increase your sales activity visibility. Are you talking to the right person? What mode are they in? They, they just bought a system. They're not going to be in buying mode. They're going to be in complacent mode. Uh, and it'll also maximize your sales team time. Uh, what I found at at the last place I was working at is that we were not, we were wasting a lot of salespeople time. So how could we maximize that? Uh, by working with, to back to your point, leads that we can convert to business. And whether it was in today's world, whether it's a kiosk, you know, a food kiosk, so you can get the mid to, you know, to a to 12 uh, station, a restaurant with 12 wait stations at it and, and 20 handouts, you know, it uh, maximize that time and, max and, re and convert those leads. 
don't waste time on leads that aren't being converted. And here's a question for the sales managers out there. Did you ever give a salesperson a great lead and then talk to them in next week's sales meeting and find out that that lead has not been contacted? You know, those, if you're managing the pipeline, that will not happen. And you can, yeah. you can convert them. And yeah, organization so I used to work for, if you didn't call somebody within a week, they would go and say, well, apparently you're not interested in reaching out to them. And they would yeah. go and give it to somebody else. And that kind of, I don't say guaranteed, but it uh, made the chance of people uh, reaching out and calling that lead a lot higher uh, once yeah. they realized there was a penalty for it. And, and guess what? In today's marketplace, they've had five to 10, uh, that, that prospect, that opportunity has had five to 10 other companies call them. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was working for another company and my daughter and son-in-law had a restaurant. So I, I went as a restaurant to the NRA show looking at tablets, tablet companies, and that because we were going to come out with a, an uh, iPad-based system. And uh, my daughter finally called me up. She said, what have you done? She said, I'm getting calls all, you know, all day long. And they're calling during lunch. Yeah. That, that, that goes back to sales management and that. So you've got to be quick, you've got to be responsive, you've got to you know, ask the right questions, plus you've got to have good, good product as well, good product and good support. And that. you need to properly address the leads, you get uh, in this data-driven information is gonna help the salesperson with their visibility, it's gonna help the sales manager, management, and it's also gonna help the ownership. One thing that we found at the company that starts with T, when we brought this, uh, methodology that works so great for the direct sales force to the, the, the reseller channel, the ownership, uh, you know, reseller ownership goes said, oh my God, I didn't know that these leads weren't being addressed. I didn't know that we were not getting a good conversion on buyer's own leads. You know, I, you know those types of things, uh, you know, will help you manage a business better and get better return on investment. Yeah. Great. So let's dive into some of those mechanics. So there's two sure. topics that we'll kind of sort them into. One is qualifying sure. leads. The other one is the pipeline itself. Which one yeah. do you want to address first, qualifying or the pipeline? Um, I, you know, cut, cut, let me, let me set the stage up. Uh, yeah. You know, we're really, we're working in one industry. There's no POS industry. There's no payments industry today in that. Uh, it's true. Back in 2000, 2012 RSPA journal session, I had a picture, a slide where two cars were crashed into each other and the, the two people in the cars were outside swapping papers. And I said, well, they're either, it was a guy and a gal. And I said, they're either swapping insurance papers or they're going to be uh, swapping phone numbers for a date. What I didn't realize is that one, that the one industry was buying the other industry. That was really, they were saying, hey, I'll give you so much money. I'll buy your industry. And that's what's happened. The payments industry has bought the POS industry. If you really think about it, you know they you've got you know uh, you've got Shift Four that's bought a, a number of ISVs, and you've got uh, Heartland slash Global that's bought a number of ISVs as well, and even Shift Four is buying number of resellers. In fact, to to increase their portfolio or or whatever for whatever business reasons, that's not here or there. So our, so you got to think of it as one. You know, how do you sell in this industry? How do you sell when the product's free? Uh, you know, uh, and um, 
is free POS just the front end or is a suite of software? Uh, is, you know, and then you bring in the whole cash discounting. I know there's a podcast coming that that's out uh, right now on that. Um, you know, cash discounting is another way of transitioning the cost of payment processing itself. So how do you maximize your business in, uh, in doing, uh, doing that? You know, and like I said, there's companies that have figured this out. Uh, you know, Toast is doing almost a billion dollars a quarter in that. Uh, at Micros, Micros uh, eventually got up to close to $2 billion in that. And, uh, and that, was a, that was a long run with hardware and software to get there. So uh, going back to the pipe, how do you work in that environment? So everybody needs qualified leads. Everybody needs to have a lead that is real. Uh, I was talking to, to a reseller and they said, yeah, I've got all these leads. And I said, um, have you qualified them? They said, I know I get a bunch of names. Well, that's, that's really a list. That's a contact list. Yes. It's not qualified. Okay. So uh, there's multiple lead sources out there. Uh, I mentioned buyer's own, uh, you know, but the cost to generate your own leads is significant. Uh, there's other resources out there uh, that go and search the web and bring you prospects. It, it'll say, okay, we got these names off this, these restaurant websites and here's your contacts. That, that's not really a lead. That's, uh, and then there's also um, software out there that will look at who's doing what searches and say, okay, these, con these contacts here are folks that have been doing searches for point of sale. So that's a little bit better, but uh, you really need to qualify all these. So and it's can, can you ahead, dive please. into like, how does somebody, what is, what do you see as a best practice for qualifying a lead? Like, is it simply hopping on the phone and asking them a few questions? Is it researching their website? Is it visiting them? Is it all of the above, none of the yeah. above? What, what is so, the best practice for qualifying a lead? So here's the first step. You, to, uh, if you got all these contacts, this is what I was getting to. If you have all these contacts and that, you've got to get to them quickly. That's the first thing. Uh, there's a if you get a lead from Biozone or MVF or anybody else uh, that's creating leads for you, uh, there's this magic window of five minutes. Lead comes in, contact them within five minutes. Uh, you've, you know, you're not a 24-hour machine, so have something on your website where you can automatically uh, you know, uh, I don't want to keep talking about HubSpot, but there's other marketing automation softwares out there where if somebody goes to your page to get information, you can quickly get an, uh, get information back to them uh, in that. So at least they have a touch. Or if you have a sales development rep, uh, we used uh, and other companies use sales development reps. So if a, a lead comes in, somebody's hit the website, uh, Somebody's, you know, somebody's come to a trade show. Here's a trade show list every day. Here's two is the people that came to our booth. Bang, the, the sales development rep, the SDR, is contacting them. So they immediately have have a contact with them. Uh, and then, you know, also the traditional down the street pull the doorknob. You know, that's a great way of making that instant contact. Uh, uh, there was a. Uh, a sales rep down in Tampa, he was selling 150 restaurants a year, onesies and twosies, because he was walking down the street pulling doorknobs. And so he knew his territory. 
However, the, the magic here is contact the lead immediately and qualify them and have, have some questions, you know, and, you know, determine is it, are they shopping or are they buying? Are they a market qualified lead or are they a sales qualified lead? And, you know, different businesses have different questions that you can ask for that. And, it, and it, you script it out. It's real easy. And, and do it quick. You know, ask two or three questions and then bang, you know, are they qualified? Uh, we would get calls. Uh, we get leads late at night sometimes from uh, a bartender that's had a rough day. And oh, this system is terrible. Maybe I need a new system. Well, let's contact. They're not going to be the buyer. Uh, and one of the questions in the qualifying is, are you the person that's going to be making the buying decision? So are you talking to the decision maker within the, the economic buyer within that? So um, that's a good way to call it. Quick, quick and short and sweet with the questions, but uh, qualifying quick because you don't want to get your sales staff unqualified leads because that wastes their time. Yes. And uh, so thank you for that. It almost reminds me of, I remember, I can't remember if this is an RSP meeting or if it was, you know, an education session, but it was leads. You should view them as ice cubes, right? You put an ice cube out on the counter. You can't be like, I'll get to that in a little bit. Like you better get to it right away or else you're going to have water on your counter and all over your floor. So it sounds like that's what you're saying. There's, you need to have a lead qualifying process, but it's more important the speed at which you execute whatever your process is versus refining it. Like make sure you're you're connecting with those folks uh, pronto. Yeah, great analogy, Jim. I like the ice cube one. I never used it, but I'll steal it. I, I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else would you say about qualifying leads before we talk about once a lead is in managing the pipeline itself? Anything else you want to say on qualifying leads or you want to talk I, pipeline? No, I actually, uh, one other thing, it, it's really important that you get the information in the CRM and uh, you know, that that's really important. And then uh, as you're going through the sales cycle, you'll want to know the quality of the leads. We'll go back to the quality question. You know, what's going into the top of the funnel or the, the start of the pipeline uh, is really a quality. Are you getting, you know, um, at one of the places, we were getting a boatload of leads. We were getting a lot of leads from Facebook, but they were not good at all. So, you know, the, the quantity was good, but the quality wasn't good. But we were able to cut that off at the top of the pipeline with our qualifications questions. So we were able to... With, with that data, knowing what our conversion ratio, we're going to talk about that. What's your lead? Your lead to qualified lead conversion ratio. We found out that the Facebook leads for us and that were not was not very good at all. So we the money that we spent, even though it was cheap to get a Facebook lead, was probably better spent based upon the time that we spent qualifying are finding out they were not qualified. So you can do a lot of work with the conversion ratio of leads to qualified leads. So that's very important uh, up in the, you know, in the initial qualification uh, portion of the, uh, of this process. And that's first point. Second point there is put the data in the CRM uh, because if it's now, an if it's an unqualified lead, put them into a drip campaign because at some point that company that just bought the system, they may not like it 
or down the road they may expand and need something that goes beyond the capability you know of the system that you know if they bought the cheapest system out there it probably didn't have all the features they might need something beyond that great yeah no i appreciate uh you you spelling it out um that way in terms of like uh, you know you and I have uh, talked sports in the past as well. And a lot of times a recruit, why did you go with that college? They called me first and then they stayed in touch with me. So I know that they cared. So even if you don't have necessarily the best product or the best fit, getting in there first and having that relentless follow-up instead of, ah, they haven't bought in six weeks, I'm going to forget about them. That's how sales are made um, over time. And I guess, so that could be a good segue into talking about the pipeline itself, right? Because all mm -hmm. these, as any VAR ISV listening uh, to us right now knows, and you know, well, Joe, it's rarely one called business or person says, that's a right. wonderful system. I'll take two. Um, so can you talk about managing that pipeline? Right. Uh, again, speaking to the sales managers, speaking to the sales leaders, the sales teams, how do you manage that? Where, where do you think we should start this conversation? Sure. Okay. Let's, let's, we're going to go by segment by the salesperson and the sales manager and then you know uh and then into the methodology and how to how with the sales uh salesperson to the sales manager to the to the ownership and how it will help and that so again guys this is just a, a primer on it uh you know to do this there's a good methodology to this that you know but th this whole the whole point of this to get you thinking about this that if this uh, this is something you should be thinking about implementing in your business, and that okay. So now you've got now you've got a qualified lead, you got a prospect, you get an opportunity, whatever you want to call it, on your list, okay. And as a sales manager, sales managers out there, have you ever seen a lead be on that prospect list forever? You know, this has been on here now for eight weeks. What the heck is going on? Have you called them? How often do you call them? Those those types of things, and that uh, you know, it's on the close. You you were going to close this four weeks ago. You said you were going to close it. Uh, what's going on? This is where the methodology will help. If you sit down with that salesperson every week, uh, and and sit down with them for an hour, take an hour to go over to, you know, go over their pipeline. Did you contact these leads? Well, this lead was going to close last week. Why didn't it close? Okay, uh, they had a construction delay. Understand. Have you contacted them this week? Construction delays allow other competitors to get in if they weren't in there yet. Make sure you're in contact with them. So you can have these kind of con conversations, coaching, mentoring conversations. You know, uh, you know uh, this this weekly conversation with the each salesperson individually, not as a group, but individually, uh, is not an opportunity to beat the dickens out of your salesperson. It's an opportunity for a really good sales manager to mentor, to teach, uh, and to coach that salesperson. And I, I can tell you firsthand, we implemented this with salespeople from, from resellers and also direct sales staff. Uh, you know, the folks that it connects to really appreciate really appreciate that mentoring. You know, I, I've just had a lot of great feedback uh, uh, from, you know, from folks uh, on it, from salespeople on that. 
And, and Joe, can I just ask, so like you talking about this weekly and at a minimum weekly conversation yeah. just reminds me of the aphorism, right? There's no substitute for a competent manager getting closer to a situation. So it's hard to be prescriptive about what exactly would go on in that one-on-one -on -one meeting, but you know it's the opportunity for you to teach whatever way it is, right? In terms of how they're engaging, the frequency with if they're engaging, as opposed to if you just have, you better hit your quarterly numbers, all the managers viewed as is the person who's going to go in and be like, are you making your numbers? Are you making your numbers? Like, that's not helping. That's just almost berating. Yeah. Am I am I understanding that correctly? Like, that's yeah. the value yeah. of this one, this weekly one-on-one. -on -one. Right. Yeah. And, and also you're coaching them, you know, I, you know, a couple of things I always ask is, okay, you yeah, definitely have to focus on your number. You know, if you're if you're supposed to close five deals, get five new five new customers each month, you've got to know what your closing ratios are. Okay, if I put out a quote, what how many what percentage of those do I quote do I close? And I'll get to that in a second. In that uh, uh, and uh, but uh, the the other point is that if you make sure that they're talking to the right people. So you got to really, here's a chance to coach on uh, buying personas. You know, are you talking, you know, talking to the user buyer? Are you talking to the, the, the manager that you know, doesn't have, that, that has a say in how the day-to-day -day runs, you know, how the floor runs, you know, in that, but doesn't have a say in what, what's being purchased. You know, uh, you use a buyer. You're talking about some companies have technical buyers if it's a larger company. You know, they might want, okay, I want cloud-based. Uh, I don't want iPad-based. I want, uh, you know, I want an Android-based, uh, you know, built for purpose, your terminal. You know, that's your technical buyer. And then your, then your economic buyer. So you got to know who you're talking to. So, you know, one thing I always did is who you're talking, who you're talking to, you know, um, and, you know, have you asked them, are they the decision maker? You know, where they and, and are you answering all these questions? It could could be one person or it could be a it could be a committee, but uh, you're gonna make sure you're doing that. And then what buying mode are they in? You know, are they in growth mode? That's a good that somebody. I mean, growth mode. We're gonna add on, uh, you know, add on to the initial, uh, pro, you know, uh, merchant, or we're gonna add on more locations. They're in trouble. Uh, you know, my system just blew up. You know, I need another system. Or they're complacent, uh, and if they come, you know. And here's where this goes back to one of the initial things that you were saying, and we were talking about. It could be a good lead, but if they just bought something, or their business is flying, and they really don't care, you know, they're making a lot of money. Uh, you know, they could be in complacent mode, and you're gonna waste a lot of time on a good opportunity there. They, you know, they could have. Uh, shock cash registers that they got at uh you know at costco and uh they could really use you know handhelds for the patio and you know etc because you're looking at it going my god they're they're bleeding <laughs> right uh, right I, I remember going up to a restaurant in maine one time it was right on the coast uh and it was one of these uh uh, uh one of these summertime seafood restaurants and one of the cars, it was a BMW in the parking lot, and the license plate was B Tender. You know, and we went in and talked to the owner, and the owner had, you know, ECRs, electronic cash register. And we said, You really need a system? He said, No, I don't need it. 
that's complacent mode. Well, a few years later, that bartender owned the system, owned the company, you know, and and by the way, he ended up buying the the, the B tender ended up buying. Yeah. So you know, complacent mode, you're not going to sell, but you got to know who you're selling to, and you got to know the buying modes. I'm getting in a little bit into sales methodology, but I don't want to do that. But that's the coaching that you can do to the individuals in that. Um, and then you got to understand, uh, you know, where are you in the sales process? You know, that's the other part of the coaching. Uh, are you just approaching? Have, have you, you know, have you done your survey of this customer? Do you know what, exactly what they're looking for? Uh, you know, they have a patio. Have you talked to them about handheld units? Uh, and, uh, have, you know, pay at the table, buy at the table. Uh, they don't have a lot of lot of money. Have you talked to them about cash discounting? You know, those types of things uh, when you're talking about the survey. Uh, and then you've got to know the conversion rates in that. Okay, uh, I got a lead. Every lead that comes in, I convert 10% of those leads. So I've got to have a lot of leads coming in that I need to address. How many do I need to address each week? How many, you know, and you can put this in, in the salesperson can put it in the CRM in the tasks. I need to call these leads today. I need to contact them. I need to follow up. And then also I need to understand on a weekly basis with my sales manager, is it still a work in process or yeah. do we re, we have to re-nurture that lead? Do we need to put him into a, uh, uh, into a drip campaign? Uh, you know, or do we need to do other things? Do I need to, you know, find out if, you know, am I talking to the right person? So the conversion numbers that are, that are important, this is the data-driven part, are lead to sale conversion. How many demos do I need to do to get a sale? Quote to sale, I'll get these, this many quotes out. How, how, what percentage go to sale? And then uh, those, those are the important ones. Uh, lead to sale, demo to sale, close sale, and quote to sale. You know, there's some other stuff, you know, like lead to how many leads, so I need to get to a demo and, and that, but if you, Tracking those three, you have a good handle on it. So to go back with the salesperson, mm -hmm. uh, weekly, weekly, one-on-one, -on -one, I'll get to uh, a general meeting in a second. Weekly one-on-one, -on -one, coach and mentor, uh, find out some quick questions to ask is, you know, uh, what's the buying persona you're dealing with and what what's their buying mode? And uh, what do you need to do to move them to the next step? In, in the sales process. Yeah, this is not happenstance. Not that it's all science, but there's a, definitely a methodology to right. it as well. You have to oh, yeah. have a plan in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So Joe, we have about 15 or so minutes left and yeah. I know we want to talk about the uh, retail IT channel timeline as well. Yeah. Uh, before we take a commercial break, what else would you say about uh, sales pipeline? What other yeah. advice would you have for our listeners? Yeah, yeah. management methodology, really quick uh, in that, uh, you know, uh, the sales manager needs to have, you know, have the one-on-one, -on -one, but then also, um, you know, I, you know, for this, what's really good is to, you know, have a, have a 15 minute stand up, you know, with the team can be on the phone. You know, if, if you have a direct team, that's easy. If you have folks out in the field, it's not, but you know, uh, who are you going to close today and, uh, and any obstacles, you know, real quick, not going to close anybody. That's okay. Uh, but at least it gets your sales staff thinking about it. And so when you do have your one-on-one, -on -one, you can you find out about that. So the guidance and mentorship that can provide uh, a right person, manager, I in the buying mode, 
what obstacles, a good friend of mine, John Tata, calls them obstitunities. There's an obstacle, <laughs> there's an opportunity to do something, but it's an opportunity. Find out if you're addressing all the pain points, what are the next steps to get uh, in the timetable to get to that next step and add those to your CRM uh, and then review the conversion numbers uh, in that. You know, the example is if, you close, if you're closing 50% of your quotes uh, and you need to close five per month, you better have, you better have 10 quotes out in that. So, you know, um, and then it goes back to, if you're not getting enough leads in your pipeline, based upon your conversion rate, then in fact, you've got to, uh, you know, that's a management issue that they have to get to. Right. So th there's a lot more to that. So you want me to wrap the, the, the pipeline thing up? Right yeah, now? if you could. Yeah, if you could, that'd be yeah. great. So, you know, guys, this is what successful companies are doing to maximize the business. One thing this will do is it's going to provide visibility for your sales staff. They'll know the conversion rates. They'll know if you put, uh, again, HubSpot has this free free uh, um, CRM, and you can put it in what they call a Kanban view, so you can see what what leads are in each section of the of the sales pipeline, and you'll know what ne needs to be done to move it to the next, you know, from a from a qualify to a survey, from a survey to a demo, from a demo to a quote quote to close, you know, that type of thing. So those lead conversion rates are important uh, and you've got to have the data to do this. Might sound like a lot of work, but it's not. The CRM helps. Uh, the conversion rates, once you get those, it really adds to the conversation with the sales team and the visibility ensures that you have fast response and proper response to actions. You're not just guessing at it. Oh, we got to put it. We got to lower the lower the price. Oh, we've got to. Yes. You know, um, oh, we've got to have a special. Why do you have? Yeah, to have you'll have more data to make a decision on. Yeah, yeah. It's, and you have, and you get a chance to manage your ROI. Um, we found out at one of the companies that for every lead that we were getting from a company, we were spending more for the lead than we were making on the sale because we weren't converting correctly. So pipeline management, data-driven sales management, it's really good, think about it. No, Joe, I appreciate that because again, there's a lot of, uh, my old basketball coach used to say, a lot of energy with little or no productivity. And oftentimes there's all sorts of energy and working and sales and doing all sorts of different things, but this methodology is gonna help uh, VARs and ISVs get a higher percent. Uh, of sales. And speaking well, we, of sales, oh, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, and, you know, the validation of that is we brought this to a bunch of resellers uh, and it just really worked. It worked for the resellers. It worked worked for my direct team at Linga as well, my with Linga and, uh, you know, and it just, it just brought a whole new light uh, for that. So back to you. Yeah, you're right. It's not a theory. It's actually uh, been right. put into practice. And right. as I was saying, speaking of sales, let's pause here to let our listeners and viewers know about the Retail Solution Providers Association. The RSP is North America's largest community of VARs, software developers, vendors, and distributors in the retail, restaurant, grocery, and cannabis verticals. Uh, upcoming registration is now open for Retail Now 2023, uh, hosted by the RSPA. It's the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. This year's event is set for July 30th through August 1st at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. You can find out more by visiting gorspa.org forward slash 
retail now. And to receive the benefits of an RSP membership or to become an RSP sponsor, you can email membership at gorspa.org. All right, Joe. So, they, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about our industry in general, and in particular about the RSPA, which, as you mentioned earlier, it's celebrating 75 years in 2023. Talk to us, when was the first time you engaged with the RSPA, or was it the ICRDA, the Independent Cash Register Dealer Association, or the SDA, the Systems Dealer Association? Those two merged to form the RSPA in 2003. Can you talk about your first engagement with the association? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it, it goes a long time ago. I hate to say it. That's why I have a hat on, so you can't see the gray hair. <laughs> and uh, and I, when I started, then I had hair where I wanted it, and uh, and it was uh, and it was uh, dark. And that uh, uh, this goes back to data terminal systems, and uh, uh, we would go as a sponsor to the ICRDA, Independent Cash Register Dealer Association, and. Uh, and this goes back to my Forrest Gump uh, conversation that I was lucky enough to, you know, stand and have the opportunity to talk to some of the founders, you know, this Stanley Heyman, Lenny Weintraub, Ed Mancini, Kurt Kennington, uh, and learn from these folks. And that's one thing that, you know, RSPA is very good at is, is making those connections and providing the education. And as Mark Olson said, you know, leveraging the collective IQ of the industry mm -hmm. and bringing that. And, you know, having an opportunity as a kid in my early 20s to, you know, to, you know, stand with these folks and to learn from them, uh, you know, was was tremendous. That, that goes back to the ICRDA. Uh, and then the DTSDA, Data Terminal Systems Dealer Association, which was the foundation for the System Dealers Association. It was uh, if you go back through the through the industry, uh, you know, ICRDA was founded uh, back in 1948 on the premise that you know these these uh, dealers, these folks that come back, they came back from World War II, you know, uh, to and they started their own businesses and they and they were fixing and selling cash registers and they needed to buy parts from NCR. Uh, and NCR wouldn't do it. They sued NCR, brought it to the Supreme Court, and they won. And now they had the parts center. The parts center was in Dayton originally, uh, and then they ran out of space and they moved it to Charlotte because Kurt Kennington had space in his building mm -hmm. for that. You know, the ICIDA grew and on the premise of protecting protecting the dealers from the vendor. From uh, in that it was vendor NCR and then the vendors. You know. Then in the 70s, uh, DTS started in 1970, uh, and they, the transition from mechanical to electronic started. I happen to live in Maynard, Massachusetts, where the very first electronic point of sale system, a cash, electronic computer cash register was installed yeah. at the paper store in Maynard, Massachusetts. <laughs> and uh, you know, with Bob Collins and Murray Rubin, uh, they started then. And so, you know, ICIDA was mechanical guys, you know, you know, mechanical guys, and the DTSDA was the system guys, you know, and then Suida came along and then tech came along with electronic and and, and it grew. Uh, the the story behind the transition between DTSDA and SDA was, you know, DTS was bought by National Semiconductor. National Semiconductor D data checker said, oh, we're going to take all your major account business. 
you know, the Safeways and all that that the that the DTS deal has had. Uh, and at a annual meeting of the, with the dealers, they walked out. And really? They, yeah, it was it was it was cool. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, stressful uh, for and some of the it, time, but cool for others. Yes. And uh, and then they, you know, they said, okay, we're not going to call ourselves DTSD anymore because it was data checker national semiconductor the data checker DTS. We're going to be the System Dealers Association. And you know Bob Goldberg, our you know the, the association's former uh, attorney, and Bob was very much involved in that. Uh, you know, in fact, they uh, went to went up to uh, Chicago where Bob's based. Uh, John Lockington was involved. John's, a I believe, a member of the uh, industry Hall of Hall Famer. Fame. Yep. Right. Uh, and so you know, I just happened to be just lucky enough to be there for all right. this was going on and you could see you know the, the the ebb and flow between icrda and sda and then as the mechanical guys retired the, the you know folks like mark carroll that took over his dad's business uh you know uh david and howard mccarthy you know on and on those folks yeah, they were in both the yep. sda and the icrda and you know because you know, there was an equal balance between them. And they said, why are we, why are we doing this? Why don't we bring, bring both together? And, uh, you know, uh, you know, David Zaletti was involved in that. Uh, gosh, David Ashley. Uh, there's so many really good people in the business. Uh, and yeah. and they learned to cooperate. And it was called for a while the RCRDA slash SDA. And then they ended up forming yeah. the RSPA. And then in 06, when you came on board full time, that was a time only the POS dealers could be members and right. vendors could only be sponsors, yeah. but the dealers ended up that year, I believe voting to grow beyond a dealer association and established an industry association. And now right. looking back 17 years ago, I can't believe it was that long, right? When you look in the rear view mirror, it's like, well, of course that seems like a great idea, but it was contentious back then. Yeah. I was at the meeting in Jamaica in January or February of 2006, and there was some, some raised voices. I'll just say that. Can you talk about what did you experience? What was the RSP like? What was the industry like? Like when you came on board uh, in 06. Sure. And so this is why I brought up that the whole uh, Supreme Court and the, and the lawsuit net, because you had a group of folks that, uh, you know, it took a lot, uh, uh, a lot of work and a lot of tenacity for that group of folks to bring a lawsuit all the way up to the Supreme Court. So there was this uh, concern about, you know, the vendor dealer, the vendor dealer thing going on. Uh, and that was starting to fade away. Uh, in 1984, IBM came out with the first open platform system. Uh, and, uh, you know, proprietary began to go, go, proprietary systems began to go to uh, open platform. So vendors and dealers started to need each other. To collaborate, and uh, they, you know, they had folks doing, you know, folks doing some really great things with these open platform systems on, on the reseller side, the reseller dealer side, and that. But there still was that contentious relationship between the two. And I remember running, I was running the uh, the reseller channel at Micros, and I I was uh, I didn't get ICRDA. I, I said we are a sponsor. 
we go to the show, but we compete with them because the bulk of the ICRDA was PC4, Parts Center 4, mm-hmm. which was the original reason that they started the organization. So that since we have five minutes left, do I need to talk fast, Jim? No, no, you go ahead. You can keep going. Okay. Uh, was the original reason for the, the ICRDA to be formed. And we were competing with supporting a competitor. And I didn't get it. And many other people didn't get it. Uh, and that that was, you know, Mike Bauer and, and Mark Olson, and I'm sure others. Mike from uh, ScanSource, Mike, Mark Olson, APG Cash for him. Yeah, exactly. And that, now they brought this idea to that meeting in, you know, in, uh, was it Jamaica or was it in Jacksonville? So it, uh, there was a meeting, I believe, in Jacksonville in the winter of 05, because that's how yeah. I ended up getting involved, right. because somebody from yeah. Business Solutions Magazine was there, but they were moving over to focus on different technologies, and they ended up, that's how I ended up getting involved. So that's how I know it was okay. must have been, yeah, Jacksonville, winter yeah. of 06, or yeah. winter of 05, so was, I'm sorry. It, yeah, it was that one. And then, so that that got the idea going. Now, now we get to another group of folks that had the tenacity and the vision and that, and that was the board of the, of the now RSPA, the consolidated SDA in, uh, in that, you know, and that, that was Howie Aiken, Bob Bauer, Steve Kramer, and Dave, David McCarthy. And this was a situation where they were going to break what was, what had, what the organization had been built upon and this is why I, I brought this up at the beginning, that this constant evolution for something to continue to grow and be successful and evolve, you need to evolve with the business. OK, and and this is what uh, this is what the, the ICRDA did, the SDA did, RSPA is doing in that. And uh, and they're evolving to this point. So, you know, Howie, Steve, uh, David and Bob. You know, they made some brave decisions to go ahead with this, you know, as a board and as the officers and the board uh, to go ahead with this. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, you know, get the job to you know, be able to run it. So we had to do with with uh, Dave McCarthy and Bob Goldberg did a great job working on the, the bylaws, which had to be changed. And then we had to bring that bring it up to the dealer meeting at. The back then it was called Focus Advantage in 2006 at yeah. Reno, Reno, Nevada. Yes. Last time we've been to Reno was 2006. <laughs> and uh, a presentation was given and there was some consternation. I'll bring this up because I want to come back to this. I know Paul Roth from Roth Cash Register was very vocal. Paul was one of the original folks. Paul's in the uh, Hall of Fame. Paul was one of the original ICRDA people, so he knew the, what was the principles it was founded upon, and in that, and he spoke up later on. Paul spoke at one of the one of the uh, one of the uh, RSPA conventions, and he said that he couldn't believe how successful working the the uh, the collaboration between the dealer slash reseller and vendor community could be for his business. So, you know, it's, I, you know, I, I love Paul for doing that. Uh, I, I loved Paul anyway. So what, what a great yeah. man. And, uh, 
and uh, just to uh, see that and, and how that, you know, those are brave decisions that the board made and brave decisions that maybe that the membership made and that to completely change the business model of the association. Be because they could have stayed stuck to the past. And my old boss yeah. used to say, there's no room in business decisions for nostalgia, right? You can get nostalgia and just talk and walk down memory lane, but just because something worked 20 years ago or 30 years ago, doesn't mean like, well, I guess we have to keep following this model. And definitely those, those folks did that. Can I ask you, looking back now, how gratifying is it for you to see again? Because you were on the front lines when it was uncharted territory, right? Yeah. There were people who were saying, I remember people having conversations like, well, if this doesn't work, then what? Right? Because the jury was still out on it. And so how do you feel now that the industry and the channel and the RSP are so healthy today? Of course, any industry, you know, has bumps and warts, but there's definitely been significant growth momentum. And there's, like you said, that camaraderie, a natural camaraderie yeah. among members. We don't have to force a vendor working group anymore to have the vendors feel included. They're just naturally included. How does that make you feel knowing that those outcomes were far from guaranteed back in 06 when you're on the front lines? I want to give a shout out to some people. Uh, yeah. You know, first of all, in that, uh, and, and, and then talk to you about some of the things that we had to do, because you're right, it wasn't a given. And, and it could have, could have fallen in its face very quickly. And that uh, it was, again, the board, uh, those volunteers, the volunteer board, they don't get paid for it. And, uh, and the officers providing leadership. You know, we used to tease Dave McCarthy. We said, you know, you've been doing this, a volunteer for so long that you didn't get a term. You got a life, a life sentence <laughs> on that. But uh, there was a lot of hard work that went into that. Uh, also, the vendors that came on uh, and uh, and supported it. Uh, you know, it, it, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for ScanSource and Epson, because uh, at one point we were looking at, we had to sell off PC4. I'll get to that in a second. And we didn't have any cash flow. So we needed sponsorships. Vendors sponsored like crazy, but we needed more. And Scans, and we came up, had this idea about the super sponsorship. This is you know, that reactive thing that I was coming telling you about with Sid. Got this great idea. And had, had got this great idea. We'll come with the super sponsorship. Let's see if we can sell this. Uh, and Scansource stepped up with a lot of money. And then Epson stepped up with a lot of money. In fact, uh, uh, we went out, Bob Bauer and I went out to see Epson. Bob had just had shoulder surgery and he's out there in the sling, uh, just uh, on a plane, uh, going cross country. And we made a presentation at Epson and those two, those two sponsorships gave us the cash flow so we could get through that first year. Cause we had to sell another uh, brave decision was we had PC4, we had to sell it because it was not a viable business. And, uh, and, um, I'll give Dean, a shout out to Dean Crotty. Dean was the chairman of the board at that point. Big decision. The, the, the organization was founded on parts, selling, buying, buying parts from NCR. In fact, when we sold PC4, we still had shelves from 1948 with parts from 1948. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, and ultimately we, we had to sell that off. And, we, and because we had that cash flow and because we had the vendors supporting the organization, 
we were bringing on a lot of members. Ultimately, we tripled membership uh, and, uh, and also doubled the size of the show. Then the other thing, Jim, that was really important, we had to have relevance for the organization. Yeah. And lucky enough, at, or at that point, PCI came along. And the other shout out that I want to do is to give it to the, uh, to the RSPA team. When I joined, there were three people in RSPA. There was myself, Amy Everett. Amy did uh, the trade shows. And then Casey. Casey had just joined Casey. Uh, uh, Casey, Lofton. it was Weimer at that time. Yeah, Casey Lofton. Yeah, yeah. Casey Lofton uh, uh, was the graphics person. She'd started like a week before me. And that was it. And the rest, everybody else was PC4. So how do you build something? So we started to build up and we had a person to do marketing, uh, marketing communications, Nicole Taylor joined. She was a, uh, was a reporter for the local NBC station. Nicole, Nicole Casey, um, Amy Hansel came on board. Amy did our, did our events. Mary Rudier uh, did our administration, kept everything together. Uh, Jay Yusek came on board to put together an education program for us. And I'll give a shout out to Betty. Uh, Betty, I can't remember her last name. She was our bookkeeper. And, uh, and she, the pieces were, she kept the wheels on the truck. That's it was falling mm -hmm. apart. So, we reached, uh, We did a, a video on Are You At Risk? If uh, you ever want to see it, it's still on YouTube. And uh, uh, one of our members had got uh, involved in a lawsuit uh, with a breach. Uh, Bob Goldberg recommended that we do a, a video. Nicole had just started. I said, Nicole, great opportunity for a piece to go out. Uh, and we did this Are You At Risk uh, to show what can happen if you're not following PCI SSE, Payment Card Industry Security Standards Council's uh, uh, security standards, and how you need to uh, make sure that, you, that your customers are secure. Quick story, and I'll stop. Uh, I was at a conference, uh, uh, NRA, National Restaurant Association Conference, for, uh, for regional restaurateurs. We had about 50 CIOs in a room, and they invited... Um, the Secret Service there. We're down in New Orleans. So Secret, Ser had Secret Service that headed up the branch uh, came in and we're introducing ourselves and I said, Joe Fenizio, RSPA. And he goes, I know you. And he said, <laughs> that's not a good thing. No. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, we use your video. Anytime a restaurateur or a merchant is breached, they don't know what happens. So it, the Secret Service gets involved. U.S. Secret Service gets involved because uh, they are in charge of protecting our monetary system. And uh, the, the merchant doesn't know what happens. So we put him in a room, we put the, the DVD in, and we say, we'll see you in 12 minutes. And they come out and they know, okay, I know what happened. My data has been breached. I know what's going to happen, et cetera. And they go, oh my God. Mm -hmm. and that, so that work that we did, that relevance helped our members uh, and we had so to do that. It cost a lot of money. We yeah. had support from vendors, Mercury, DataCap, uh, you know, Mercury. Uh, Old Mercury Mark payment systems, Katz, yeah. Mark and Jeff Katz and Tom Reichert, the work that they did. Uh, Barry Weiss uh, at Epson. Epson, you know, may Barry rest in peace. Uh, uh, 
to bring all these pieces together uh, and to support these things is just immense. And the team, the, the volunteers, the committees that we put together, you know, you're driving the boat now mm -hmm. uh, in that, uh, you know, and uh, the committees and the volunteers are the fuel that make that run run it, run the Absolutely. organization. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and the so rising. Yeah, sorry, it's a long story, but you <laughs> No, but they ascribe to the rising tide lifts all boats. People working together make the channel better, not fighting over pie. And you mentioning all those sponsors just made me realize. I don't think I said uh, thanks to our sponsors today who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsor is Blue Star. Gold sponsors are CoCard, Heartland, ScanSource and star micronics so joe we are right up against time but my final question for i do want to hear this looking back on your career and looking back on the association what's like one lesson or one memory you want to share with our listeners today that you want them to take away yeah yeah um i'll go back to something i said earlier keep learning keep adapting uh this is where rspa can definitely help uh again you the organization brings a collective iq together uh, and you can learn from some unbelievable people in the industry. Uh, you know, RSPA continues to grow and adapt. Uh, you know, they represent our industry. Uh, the one unique thing that the industry association has and Jim has is that you have a view of the entire industry. You're not the bad guy. You're not a competitor calling up. You, you can pick up the phone and talk to any vendor in our business. And that's a unique, a unique opportunity. That's the thing that I enjoyed the most. I get to, uh, you know, and I meaning RSPA, mm -hmm. it just happened to be the, you know, be the medium, uh, was a, we were able to talk to some great folks in great, running great businesses and bring those best practices to the membership. And that's a unique position that you, Jim, you have, uh, and the association has. And that's, so my lesson in that was keep learning and keep adapting. Awesome. Yeah, the team definitely feels fortunate, like you said, to literally be in the center of it all, right? In the midst of everything going on with VARs and ISVs and vendors and distributors and PayFax and ISOs, right? And everything yeah. uh, coming together, the RSP is definitely yeah. uh, you know, in when, the middle of it. When you're doing it, when I, I was, you know, back in the business, you know, running, running a you know, sales organization or marketing organization, you're in the you're in the battle every day. You don't have a chance to put your head up and say, oh, what's everybody else doing? You're trying to make sure That's that right. your business is successful and doing the right things for your business. You get that you need, you're at the top of the top of the mountain able to look and see what's going on and, and watch all those battles and see what's working, what's not working. It's it's a cool position. It's it's uh that's that's what I love the most. And uh uh, and uh, in my career, what I'm most proud of is is what we're able to do at RSPA. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for putting the industry in the position where it is today, Joe. Uh, thanks for your time today, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at, uh, at Retail Now this year. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Very James. wonderful. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Again, thanks, big thanks to Joe Finizio for sharing his wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSP Marketing Director Chris Arnold for his production work. Joe 
Joseph McDade for our music. And last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSP is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail technology ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody. 